Hello, everybody. Welcome to In Their 20s, a podcast with the best advice. My name is Landon Campbell. I'm your host. And for our 60th episode, we had a very special guest. We spoke with David Sachs, who was the founding chief operating officer of PayPal, a company that he joined in his 20s, which was later sold to eBay for $1.5 billion. Since his time at PayPal, David has remained very busy. He founded companies like Yammer, Zenefits, and Craft Ventures, which is an early stage VC fund dedicated to the craft of building great companies. In addition, David is the co-founder of a new app called Callin, which is an app that combines social audio with podcasting. This episode was sponsored by DealBlock, which is a reusable gym bag deodorizer unlike anything you've seen. DealBlock actually deodorizes spaces with the use of a plant-based refill pod infused with essential oils that last for 30 days. So after you have a DealBlock, all you need are the refills. The founders of DealBlock are currently in their 20s and they've been working on this product since they were in high school. So make sure to check them out at DealBlock.com. Without further ado, let's jump into our interview with David Sachs to hear about his advice for people in their 20s. Before we jump in and start talking about your 20s, I uh, just want to say congrats again on the launch with the call-in. Um, I'm really loving the platform from the perspective of a content creator, podcaster. I just see a lot of use cases for this, uh, for distribution, connecting with my audience, uh, being able to take in questions. Really love the experience as well. Um, you know, it's really easy to find new shows, create a show, everything. So I just want to ask you though, I mean, with first week, I believe you guys launched last Thursday. How are the numbers looking um, and what, what's some feedback that you've heard about Colin so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going great. Um, we, I mean, the, there's a, been a ton of activity, you know, lots and lots of new shows, which I think is the most important thing. Lots of people signing up and this seems like universally positive reviews. Um, I've been sort of nonstop retweeting. So yeah, no, we, we're, we're really happy with the way it's gone. Love that. Yeah, no, I see you've been very busy on Twitter. So let's start at the beginning. Um, I'd love to talk about your college days. Um, and let's just understand, why did you originally choose to go to Stanford? <laughs> um, n- n- I don't really have a great reason here. I mean, mainly because I didn't get into Harvard, to be honest. <laughs> Actually, um, when I was in high school, I wanted to become a paleontologist and study under Stephen Jay Gould at Harvard. And had that actually happened, I don't think I'd be sitting here today. So it's probably a really good thing that I didn't get into Harvard. But I got into Stanford, and it seemed like the best school I got into. And that took me out to the West Coast and kind of plugged me into a circle that got me into technology. Of course. Um, So I know a lot of students, and this isn't something that you had to deal with, uh, but a lot of students currently are still having to deal with remote learning. Uh, My sister, of course, she's in high school, and a lot of college students, yes, there's some schools that are getting back. But I would love to just hear any advice that you have for current students dealing with all of this uncertainty with remote learning, um, because it seems like this is, uh, you know, the the way we're going to be going in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be tough because the main thing I think I got out of Stanford was the um, the, the sort of the relationships that I formed. And that was really a function, uh, not so much of like classroom stuff, but just, you know, extracurricular activities, um, mainly being involved in the student newspaper, the Stanford Review. Um, that's how I met Peter Thiel. And then he eventually recruited me to join PayPal. So that had a huge impact on my career. And honestly, if I, if I was just doing it by Zoom, I don't think it would have worked out the same. So that is an issue. 
course. Yeah, no, it's nice that you were able to develop all of these connections and continue to build your network through college. And I really encourage people, even if you are at home remote learning or, you know, you have a job that doesn't require you to go into the office, you know, still look for unique ways to network, meet people. Got to work a little harder now, but um, no, really encourage that. So let's talk about your time at PayPal. And before we pivot to that, um, this wasn't your first job out of college. You know, you had a position at McKinsey. Um, and you decided to leave to join PayPal. Before we get to PayPal, you know, you again left McKinsey to join this company. That's a big risk, of course. You know, you didn't know that PayPal was going to grow into the company that it did. Um, of course, you had faith in yourself, but I know a lot of 20 somethings, you know, they have friends that are starting companies, you know, they want to create their own thing, but they're very comfortable um, at their company that, that they're at currently, a larger company, a corporation. What really allowed for you to make that push? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, before joining McKinsey, I'd actually spent three years in law school. And so that was the, the big thing I did after college. And if you're looking to second guess things that I did in my 20s, that would have to be one of them. Um, not not that I have many things to really, and I don't really regret it, but not, not that I have anything to complain about. But back in those days, this would have been, you know, the mid-1990s. Law school was kind of the def default choice for people who were good at school who didn't really know what to do with their lives. And I had this vague idea that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, I wanted to do something in business, but I had no idea how to do it. And um, you got to remember back in th – this was just at the dawn of the internet. Not, you know, internet started in 95. Blogging didn't really start till 10 years later. There was certainly no YC. It was really hard to understand – like how to do something entrepreneurial. I mean, almost everybody did something very tracked, like banking, investment banking, or consulting, or law school, or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, so for me, going to work at McKinsey as a management consultant was already a transitional move for to, to get out of law into doing something more um, business-oriented. And in a way, I, I got a little bit lucky um, again, during my first year at McKinsey, I got a phone call from Peter Thiel. He told me what he was doing um, with a company that was then called Confinity. The idea was to enable people to be money from one Palm Pilot to another. I thought it was actually a really dumb idea. Who would want to do that? But we started talking about what if you could email money? That would be a killer idea. And I told Peter if that's what the company was going to do, I'd quit my job at McKinsey and, and, and go do that. So, you know, it was a combination of the fact that I thought the idea of emailing money was just going to be a killer idea. I really believed in it, combined with the fact that, you know, Peter was one of the smartest, if not the smartest person I had ever met. And, um, you know, thought it would be, if I was going to do something entrepreneurial, he'd be a great guy to do it with. Of course, that and you had faith in yourself. Let's take a quick second, because I do have a question to that as well. Uh, you noticed the trend, you know, that emailing money from one device to another, um, you know, that's something that you could really believe in. And that obviously turned out to really work well in PayPal's uh, favor. So if you're in your 20s today, uh, what trends, what kind of industries are you looking at um, that you really think will be taken over in the future? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you call it a trend, but it's, I think it's more specific than that. I mean, it was a very specific idea. And mm -hmm. I think the most important thing is not the trend. It's just the specific idea. And the mistake I, I see a lot of sort of would be or, or want to be founders making is I call it minimum viable idea. They basically are just chomping at the bit to start something. And so they find like an idea that's just sort of minimum viable to get funded or to kind of get off the ground, but it's not actually a great idea. And I do think it's really important to have a great idea. 
um, and it's worth waiting for a great idea. Um, and, you know, in fact, Confi PayPal, Confinity, as it was known back then, the, the original idea wasn't that great, but um, but they pivoted, and it was a, a hallmark to the talent of the team that they kept pivoting until they found the great idea. And you can definitely do that sometimes, but the thing I recommend is really waiting for the best idea. Now, the trend is certainly can be helpful, you know, but the trend just creates tailwinds for the idea. And if you don't have the right idea, you won't be successful. So now let's dive in to your time at PayPal, uh, a company where you wore multiple hats, uh, but, you know, most recognizable, you were the COO of PayPal. Talk to me about the early days um, of the company, you know, right when you joined, I understand the company was losing money on every transaction. You guys pivoted, you know, business models, but talk to me about some of the daily routines that you really developed during those early days and what you learned um, from the first few years at PayPal. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I learned my first few months, I had to kind of unlearn a lot of the things I learned at McKinsey. Um, mm -hmm. And the, 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 the you have to remember, McKinsey's a is a is a management consulting firm that really revolves around strategy. And the the belief is that if you get the strategy right, then everything else will follow. And 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 there's some truth to that. I mean, it is really important that you have the correct strategy. But the thing I learned in my first couple of months of PayPal was that what you really had to get right was the product. And you could have the right theoretical strategy, but unless you had the right product, um, nothing else mattered. And, you know, what I saw at the company is that we had some great ideas. We had this idea of emailing money, but no one had, like, actually implemented it properly. And we had, like, all these biz dev people running around trying to make deals. We had um, engineers coding things that were, like, difficult engineering problems, things that were personally interesting to them. But... You know, as I looked at this, I'm like, none of this is going to make us successful. Like, what really matters is having a product that is really simple and easy to use. And so I sort of um, gravitated to that role, uh, and I, you would call it a product manager or head of product. The company didn't have one, and I sort of just jumped in and focused on that because I was just like, look, guys, if we don't get the product right, we're not going to have anything. And, um, and I didn't know when I joined PayPal that I had become – the product leader of the company. Um, you know, my original title was VPS strategy. I thought the strategy was all important, but what I learned is that it's really the product that's all important. And, um, and I kind of became the guy who was obsessed with every little detail of the product to make sure it was perfect. Um, that's the reason why I became CEO of the company is, um, is that, you know, I, I went from VPS strategy to VP of product. And then as we started adding teams, because the product is so central, you know, it was always, well, who should run this team, you know, and it was always, well, who knows the most about the product. And so eventually all this, all these operating functions got put under me because I was ahead of the product. And so that was like really the big learning that I had had going from like a really theoretical sort of almost like big company fortune 500 type view of the world, like the MBA view of the world to more of a start view of the world. There were many milestones that you guys hit while you were with PayPal. Um, you know, you grew payment volume from zero to 500 million per month and revenue from zero to 240 million per year. Um, when you think about these years at PayPal, what's one memory that always puts a smile on your face? <laughs> uh, well, there's a famous photo of me beating Peter at chess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah actually, I think you, uh, you tweeted that, right? As the, yep, yeah, as that was the cover for the interview. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a great moment to talk about. Um, that was on the day of our IPO. 
you got to remember that the whole the whole time period that we associate with with the quote unquote PayPal mafia was only four years. You know, all these people came together, and we built PayPal, we IPO'd, and then we had you know the the sale to eBay. That was all four years. And then right after that, you know, everyone left. And so this like quote unquote PayPal mafia group is only, you know, it was, it was only four years. Um, and um, we, we can talk about like, you know, more about why it ended up being so iconic, but, um, but back, back to that moment, what happened is we had this um, IPO of the company. I think this is back in February of 2002. And to celebrate, we had a keg party in the parking lot. Uh, we had a sort of a, office in a nondescript office park in Mountain View. And we basically had a party in the parking lot with a couple of kegs of beer. That's all there, it really was. But then we set up this um, 10 games simultaneous where Peter would simultaneously take on 10 of us. So it was me and Max and Ruloff and seven other people in the company were all playing against Peter. And Peter would just go board to board and make a move and then go to the next one. Peter, by the way, is like a you know, like a master in chess. I don't know exactly what his rating is, but well, 2,200, 2,400, something, you know, and for those of you know, like chess ratings, it's, it's a very high rating. And um, anyway, I got lucky and happened to checkmate him in like five or six moves because he wasn't paying too much attention or he wasn't concentrating well, hard enough. And somebody managed to snap that photo, right? The perfect moment when I had just won the game and you can see the expression on Peter's face wasn't happy at all. <laughs> yeah. Legendary photo. I love that. Um, and you know, you mentioned the PayPal mafia. I want to take some time to talk about, um, this exceptional group, um, of, you know, so you guys were all early PayPal employees. Um, and to name off a few, you know, you have Elon Musk, of course, um, you, uh, Reed Hoffman would go on to create LinkedIn, Peter Thiel. Um, this was a popular question that came up um, from a lot of people who found out about our interview. They just want to understand, is there something that differentiates this circle from other folks? Because it's just really remarkable that all the first few people at PayPal would go on to do extraordinary things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a question that comes up all the time, which is, you know, what, what was in the water at PayPal? And I think it was a function of a few things that, these people turned out to go on and do so many great things. And I mean, in addition to the people you mentioned, I mean, obviously you got Max Levchin as the CTO, mm-hmm. who's now the founder of a firm, which is a $25 billion public company. You've got, um, you know, Chad and, um, you know, Chad Hurley and Steve Chen founded YouTube. Jeremy Salkman mm-hmm. founded Yelp. Um, and I'm forgetting a bunch of other people that were, you know, that were in that, that famous photo. Um, I think there were a few things going on here. You know, one was the people themselves, Two is the, um, the, the the timing of it, and then the third is sort of the the playbook that we learn at, at PayPal. So, in terms of number one, the people, um, the they, they were all cut from the same cloth in terms of being an entrepreneurial cloth. Um, Peter recruited his friends from college. Um, Max recruited his friends from U of I. It wasn't a lot of people recruited through traditional headhunters or agencies or something like that. Everyone was sort of, it was recruited through friendship networks. And one of the reasons for that, quite frankly, is because it was too hard to recruit anybody else. You know, Um, you got to remember, this is like the late nineties, early two thousands. People were not joining startups back then. Um, When when I quit McKinsey to join a startup, it really was seen as like a bungee jump from the, you know, cliffs of career respectability off, you know, 
into the chasm of, you know, and who knows if the, if the bungee cord's going to catch you and bounce you back up or you're just going to like crash and burn. I mean, it was seen as a very, very risky, slightly disreputable thing to do it, 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 20 years ago, you know? Um, and so we recruited people who we knew because those are the only people we could recruit. You know, I laugh today when I see people trying to portray the PayPal mafia as some exclusive elitist club. It wasn't, I mean, <laughs> nobody else wanted to join. You know, there are a lot of people out there who could have been members of the PayPal mafia, you know, many dozens, if not hundreds of them, they just never accepted our job offers or even accepted the offer to interview with us. So, I mean, that was number one. So, but as a result of that, you had this group of people who from the get go were uh, inclined to basically do something entrepreneurial or inclined to do startups at a time where other people weren't. The second thing was the timing. Um, the big fact, you know, the big factor, the big thing that happened 20 years ago was the dot-com crash. This happened in, you know, March, April of 2000. And, you know, basically until about 2004, Silicon Valley really went through what was at a, a nadir. I mean, companies were mostly going out of business. It was very hard to raise money. There was actually a website called fuckcompany.com that, um, <laughs> Every day would post companies doing layoffs or, um, you know, or going out of business. And you just can't imagine how bad it, w it was. And so PayPal was one of the few companies to actually make it through that. Um, and at the same time that that was happening, everybody else, a lot of people were leaving. So, you know, the big joke in the early 2000s was that B2B meant back to banking and B2C meant back to consulting because a lot of people who had come for the gold rush of the dot-com boom now went back to traditional industries. Well, people at PayPal succeeded. You know, we, 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 we sort of persevered through the dot-com crash. We, got, we were the first IPO. We were the first dot-com IPO after the dot-com crash. That's how long it took is until um, February of two, 2002. And then we ended up selling the company later that year, around July of 2002. And so you had in late 2002 this this cohort of people who had experienced success with PayPal and were also ready to do it again because um, it was a successful outcome, but it's not like, you know, anyone became a billionaire and there were a whole bunch of people who were really excited to do the next startup. So the timing was really important that you unleash this wave of talent onto the scene in Silicon Valley at a time when everyone else was leaving. And so we almost had the field to ourselves and that's why, the PayPal mafia did play a big role in, in sort of shaping Silicon Valley in the early two thousands. Um, and then I think this is the third thing, the playbook. We did learn a lot of lessons from PayPal that were super helpful in terms of the next set of companies that came along. We learned distribution tricks, you know, a lot of the tricks that we learned on how to piggyback off and bootstrap off an existing ecosystem like eBay were applied in the next round of startups. We knew we understood virality how to make products go viral. We understood product development, how to how to iterate in a rapid way instead of doing you know one release a year like big companies were doing. There were just a whole bunch of lessons that we had learned. And so you had this group of people who were very entrepreneurial to begin with. They had the great timing and the great fortune to be you know, in Silicon Valley at a time when it was reconstituting itself. And then they had this playbook ready-made of tremendous lessons that they had just learned that nobody else had. Because remember, there was no such thing as blogging back in 2002. So we almost had this proprietary knowledge of how you create a successful startup. 
And so all these things come together and then everyone leaves to go do their own companies in 2003, 2004, 2005, and you get this explosion of what would later be called, be called the PayPal mafia. Well, I'll even add that another thing that you've learned during this time was leadership. Um, I believe at the peak you were managing 700 employees at PayPal. Um, for someone in their 20s looking to become a better leader, uh, looking to build community through that as well, uh, what advice do you have for that 20-something as well? You know, one of the things that struck me about managing a large creative effort like PayPal or really any of the things I've done since then, companies, is that it wasn't that dissimilar from the experience I had when I was editor-in-chief of the Stanford View or before that, when I was in high school, I was editor-in-chief of the student yearbook. And, you know, those experiences were really stepping stones to running something big. And I think people sometimes think that, that you know, that, that, you know that, that if they're editor of the high school newspaper or they run a club or something like that, um, that that's somehow not quote unquote real world experience. You know, it is. You learn a lot by doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, the flip side of it is if you get in your 20s and you want to, you know, apply for a job at a startup and they ask you, what have you done in your life that's entrepreneurial? Like, what's your answer going to be? So I don't think it's ever too early to start doing something entrepreneurial. It may not be for money. You know, it may not be um, a commercial endeavor, but you should be able to do things that you're passionate about. And uh, and if you do those things, uh, if you run those sort of, let's call them creative enterprises, it will prepare you for the things you do later in life. Um, you know, I really call that identity capital, like just using your 20s to pick up different skills, different jobs. I had 10 internships when I was in college. A few of those were unpaid. And I literally just had these jobs at times to pick up new skills find out new things about, you know, industries that I didn't know a whole lot about. So I really think that uh, a few people I've interviewed have said this quote that, uh, you know, you got to learn in your 20s and earn in your 30s. So really love that you mentioned that. Just to add to that, I mean, I think you have to do stuff that you're passionate about, right? Mm -hmm. And so like in college, there got to a point where I was spending so much time on the student newspaper that I was barely going to class, you know? That's what I was passionate about. Now, a lot of my... um, you know, a lot of my colleagues who were in school, they were doing things that they thought in a very narrow sense would get them to the next stage and would get them that job as an associate at Goldman Sachs or whatever. And maybe it did, you know, but, um, but what my experience did, even though I didn't do it for money, I didn't do it for any career advancement. I did it because I cared about it. It ended up, you know, having me meet Peter Thiel, Peter learned that I was like really good at, you know, running a large creative endeavor. And then Peter wanted to hire me to the early team at PayPal. And so that's how my career worked out. Right. And so, you know, I think it's important both to get the experience and to meet the right kind of people to do these types of projects that, you know, that don't make you any money that, you know, it's, that's not the reason you do it, but I think they can work out in ways you don't expect. Of course. So, David, throughout this conversation, you've mentioned a lot of your personal habits, qualities that have led to your success. Um, You know, thinking about what you do today, though, you have daily interactions with so many founders, entrepreneurs, a lot of those in their 20s, I'm going to assume. What are some qualities that you look for in both 20-something founders, entrepreneurs, and then even younger employees? 
I mean, I think about like the team we have at Colin, and I think they're great examples of this. I mean, they are so dedicated. They're so hardworking. I mean, the truth of the matter is one of the things you can do in your 20s that is harder when you get into your, I don't know, 40s or 50s, like my age, um, is you can work harder, you know. And um, and I don't I don't really like when I see all this stuff dismissing the value of hard work. Um, it doesn't you know, you talk about work life balance and I see all the stuff talking about how, um, you know, that, that people are trying to uh, balance these things. Well, one of the things you want to balance is work life across your entire life, not just like in your you know, at, at that specific age. And one of the things that you do in your 20s is sacrifice so that you're in the position you want to be in later on. And anybody who tells you any different, I think, is not telling you the truth or shortchanging you. Um, now, the, the other reality is if you're doing something that you really enjoy, um, it, it shouldn't feel like work. And, you know, one of the things that I, one of the things I think that's easier when you're in your twenties is to get obsessive about something, you know, like I find like, I mean, as I look back on myself in my twenties, I was just, when I was doing PayPal, I was just maniacally focused on doing PayPal. That's all I cared about. If you read about, you know, and I'm not putting myself in his league, but if you read about like Bill Gates and Microsoft in his twenties, the guy was like, you know, obsessive. Right. Um, and you see this like very commonly, you know, he was looking at the license place of people in the parking lot to see who was working late. Now, again, I'm not specifically endorsing that view, but you know, if you read the biographies of people who are very successful, you see that they found something in their twenties to obsess over. And the truth is, if it feels like work to you, you're never going to be able to do it, you know, th that much. You're not going to be able to obsess on it because it's not going to feel good. You're, you are going to be seeking the life. You're going to be seeking balance because, you know, you're not passionate. So the thing to, that I would really recommend is you've got to find something to get obsessed with in your 20s so that you can spend the time doing it and not even notice how much time you're spending doing it, you know, and, and that's the advantage you have being in your twenties. Cause what I find, you know, I guess over the next year, I'll be 50 is that I have a harder time at this point in my life, obsessing about just one thing. I like the perspective or breadth that I get, for example, as an investor, you know, and I get to see a bunch of different things and that's fun for me at this age in my twenties. I, I didn't care about that. I really wanted to find the one thing that I could be all in on. So I tend to think that that's what you want to look for in your twenties is what is that one thing that feels right to be all in on so that you really can spend the time on it to create like an outlier success. A lot of powerful things there. I want to extract a few. Uh, first off, um, your bestie Jason said something very similar when I interviewed him, uh, just focused on doing the work. Um, so I love that statement. Love your statement on work-life balance as well. I'd even go as far as to say that uh, it's more of work-life harmony. Um, you know, just finding something that works for you um, is obviously what can lead to a successful life. And really love your points on um, you know just focusing on something specific um, in your twenties that you can obsess over. Uh, something that you're good at, something that really motivates you to want to work on it every single day. So thank you for touching on that, David. And my final question for you, um, it's not so much about your 20s, but you know, we began this conversation, I kind of shared my personal praise for Colin, how I want to use the platform, why I'm super excited for this app. Um, but I want to hear from you, what is your vision? And I know you've been tweeting a lot about this in the past few um, days and a lot of articles as well, but just for the audience today, what is your vision for Colin and how can content creators, maybe content creators in their 20s, best use the platform? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, call it as a platform for speech. And what we're trying to do is enable um, people to be able to literally speak. I mean, it's audio. So use their voice um, in a way that they couldn't. And the, w the way we're doing that is by making it so easy to create a show that anyone can do it and they can find an audience. So, you know, we're trying to create a speech platform. I'm very passionate about free speech. Uh, that was absolutely one of my big motivations in creating this platform is that um, from a, from really the first day, um, I saw that other social networks were becoming incredibly restrictive about uh, what people could say and engaging in censorship. And uh, my hope is that we can create a better marketplace of ideas where, you know, the best idea and the truth wins and anybody has the ability to go out and create the show they want and to participate in the marketplace of ideas. So that for me is sort of my hope for, for Colin. I love that. And again, I'm very excited to be able to host my podcast on Colin exclusive content, these amazing interviews, David, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. Um, back in March of 2020, when uh, my friend Michael and I were kind of brainstorming the idea of the podcast, um, your name was high on the list. So to be able to speak with you today was an honor. Um, I learned so much. I know listeners had so much to gain from this interview as well. So thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you. Well, we appreciate you being on the platform, creating great content. So thank you, Landon. Thank you so much for streaming our exclusive interview with David Sachs, the founding chief operating officer of PayPal. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, make sure to subscribe to In Their 20s wherever you stream your podcasts. Lastly, this episode was sponsored by DealBlock, which is a reusable gym bag deodorizer unlike anything you've seen before. Once again, the DealBlock founders are in their 20s. I really support their business. I love their product. This product was created to help you and your items stay fresh. So make sure to check them out at dealblock.com. See you next week.